0: are listening to the Auxiliary Gate Podcast, Kentucky's weekly horse racing discussion. And now, here are your hosts, Alan Schneider.
1: Betting 800 races a week, seven days a week, you get one bad rider, one bad steward's call, and you're bitching, moaning, blah, blah, blah to the end of time, but then you're right back there betting the next race, and the next Tuesday, and the next Thursday. Brandon Jaggers fashion jockeys for no reason uh you think you're the smartest person in the world all of a sudden your horse loses and it's everybody's fault but your own and me cc brought us you'll bitch about the pick five coming off the turf they scratched your uh scratch horses you don't want the only way that you make people pay for that is to not bet the sequels for every time everybody gets on our bitches and just bets the next one next one
0: the auxiliary gate big problem <laughs> Hello and welcome to episode 117 of the Auxiliary Gate podcast. I'm C.C. Broadus. Alan Schneider has joined us once again. Alan, how are you doing?
1: Oh, I'm good. I rushed to get here. It's a long day at work. Uh, people may know I drive a long way, and there was a lot of traffic, and I just walked in the door, but nothing is going to keep me from missing this, right, especially with our guests today and the fact that it's my obligation and my duty, and I enjoy it, so bring it on.
0: All right, yeah. Do what you're paid to do, sir.
1: <laughs> I'm not now, Brandon jack's for
0: this. Is on assignment uh, hopefully we'll have him in the near future but uh mm-hmm. uh let's get to the uh topics days of the day what does DeJure mean de jure. De jure.
1: it's de jure. um de jure. I used to know that uh, again i just I've been rushing around so i, I should know that
0: but yeah okay I'll brush stupid. up on my French. but you
1: know.
0: uh uh probably story number one no turf racing at Churchill. In September, um, probably not a big deal. It's only a three-week meet, but you, and you're going to have 70 turf races to kick off the month at Kentucky Downs, and then you got Keeneland to follow that up three weeks later. So, uh, but still, it's kind of you know it's a- aggravating to say the least.
1: And I, I think we've been pretty uh, forgiving with this. I mean, of course, you know, you and I don't have much of a say in a thing anyway and stuff. But I thought we've we've understood. Um It always, to me, it always is a bigger deal for the horsemen. The owners, right? Um, it, I just don't have to bet if I don't want to. Those guys, they're the lifeblood. Um, that's how they make their money. Uh, people point their horses. They use them as preps. Uh, they tr- wait for the big person, the Churchill, the owners. Yeah. They, and so I feel bad for them. I, I really do. I think there's, there's ways that you could handle us. I mean, you and I have talked briefly about some, some ways that they could if they wanted to, perhaps. But again, we don't know all the ins and outs, but. Moving some of the racing to Turfway, uh, it seems like a decent idea to me. The place is ready to roll. It might be a good advertisement if they were to maybe take a date one day a week and just all the race they were going to card for the turf that week, put them one day at Turfway or, or again, use Kentucky Downs. Uh, you know, but I don't know. Maybe the answer is just not to have turf racing. I don't know, but it, it seems unfortunate for horsemen and owners, doesn't it?
0: Well, it's a real problem for horses that are making their last starts at Ellis or or even Colonial yeah. Downs, or and they were pointing to maybe a thirty days of a break between races and that, that put you squarely in the middle of the Churchill meet. But that's not going to happen. Now you have to wait another few more weeks to to race at Keeneland. So that's yeah, you know, that probably puts a, a damper on a lot of these schedules.
1: Yeah, and I would also add that you know that's that's if you're turf racing, even you maybe you're using those those races as springboards to that six figure allowance race. At Churchill right now, you don't have that. Now, maybe you go, try to get to Keeneland, you don't get in because everybody's going to be trying to get in them Keeneland races. So it, it, it does put a damper on it. Again, I try not to look through the eyes of a gambler all the time. I think maybe uh, a lot of people do that far too often. Um, the, the, you know, this is people's livelihood, and that's who I feel really bad about.
0: One item that just totally avoided me, uh, I didn't know about this. Apparently it was announced maybe last month, is the claiming crown will be run at Churchill Downs in November. And I was pretty excited about that. I think the claiming crown's a pretty cool deal. I I know it's been held at Ellis Park in the past and prior to that it was held at Canterbury, but the last ten years has been held at Gulfstream, but they're renovating their turf course I believe and it's not gonna be ready till December. So we get the claiming crown in uh in early early to mid November, somewhere maybe around the twelfth or the eleventh or something like that.
1: I didn't know that either. I got you know, isn't that the deal where you just bet Mike Maker? Or maybe wait for uh, Lynn Cash to bring uh Beverly Park in. I, I think that's a distinct possibility, right? <laughs> I'm sure he's got his eyes on it.
0: Yes, uh yeah, there's no doubt about it. He's probably got a stable full that he could point oh, toward yeah. those. Uh yeah, that that'll be uh that'll be fun. That's uh mm-hmm. do you have any, do you have any claiming crown memories?
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, maybe I do from back in the day, but uh they escape me offhand, to be honest with you.
0: <laughs> and finally and last but not least, we've got a big weekend. The Travers will be run on Saturday. They drew that field. We're recording this on Tuesday. They drew the field today from uh, from the rail out Cyber Knife, Rich Strike, Ain't Life Grand, Gilded Age, Artorias, Epicenter, Early Voting, Zandon, Eight Horse Field. Probably the best three year olds in the country, minus Taba and probably Jack Christopher. I' am trying to think of a few more. That's nest. all I can think of right now. Nest. Well, nest, yeah, <laughs> nest. But you know, uh, anything uh, strike your fancy in the Traverse?
1: A couple things come to mind as, a, as a, I'm just seeing this, just as uh, basically CC is. But I know there was a time when we thought, hey, Cyberknife, he has to be, he has to be on the far outside. He can't be between horses. He can't be tucked on the rail. He just won the Haskell an amazing ride from the inside. And as usual here, he's training lights out. He's got the rail again, but all of a sudden now people won't, they're going to give him the benefit of the doubt that the light has went on and that all of a sudden that rail thing that's always been an issue will get forgotten about, right? Cause I could see maybe cyber Life being second choice in there. Uh, the way I, you know, I haven't looked at the PPs yet. I don't, you know, you know, as with the, with these horses that you know, you really don't need to look at the PPs for the most part, but I, I am of the, the mindset that epicenter is going to get pounded rightfully so, definitively the horse to beat. As always, as we know, that's not necessarily the horse to bet. If, if you want to attack it from the angle that Chad Brown was using the Jim Dandy as a prep, I mean, you're going to get a solid price on Zandon even early voting. Uh, you know, there's no reason to think that uh, people will overlook the fact that Epicenter won so easily. And he's going to be heavily bet, but, you know, I, I'm tempted to look to – to Zandon one more time. This a personal thing. That's just a price thing because at the end of the day, that's what this game's about. It's the price. And you know, if I could get, I don't know, four to one, nine to two on Zandon, that sounds kind of appealing to me. What about you?
0: I give you a horse that's interesting to me. I don't think he's going to win, but Gilded Age, thirty to one on the morning line, suffered a wide trip last time in the Jim Danny. Not the Jim Danny, but the uh, the stakes race the week of. I can't remember that. It's maybe was the Curlin. The Curlin. Yeah, it's the race that Artorius won. Gilded Age was probably five wide coming off the turn and he, he finished strongly. I don't think he's going to win, but if you're playing a super factor, I wouldn't leave that horse out. He may clunk up for third or fourth because I think there's a few in here that you might be able to, I'm not a fan of Rich Strike. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't, don't, I said that wrong. I am a fan of Rich Strike. I just don't like him to win here. I just have a feeling that uh, he's probably up against it. Uh, it's yeah, just, it's,
1: it's going to mount a quarter. He probably won't get that. That he needs that. He's that horse. He's, he's a mile and a quarter horse. But he he needs, he's going to need that wicked pace a little bit too to get to, it to, to fire his best shot. Will he get it here? Probably not. But uh, I mean, I would love to see him win again. I know uh, just because it probably make people mad. Uh, you know, again he probably. But again, it's yeah, he's one for one at twelve furlongs. Not a lot of horses can say that.
0: Eight Life Grand's probably a toss. So it's funny that the Derby winner and the Preakness winner will be largely ignored at the windows yeah, this time around. So that's that's odd. But yeah, I think uh, I'm like you. I think Cyberknife is tough. I, I like Artorias, a horse that's on the come. Epicenter, of course, it's going to be hard to beat. It's, it's, a, it's a great race. I, I you know it's going to be fun to watch. It's going to be fun to handicap. But also on the undercard, uh, I mentioned Jack Christopher earlier. Jack Christopher is going to be a heavy favorite in the Allen Jerkin Stakes, formerly the King's Bishop, seven furlongs on the dirt. But we're sending a a, a hopeful up there to take him on in the form of Conniger from the Mike Tomlinson barn, who's been on the podcast before. Conniger is going to take on Jack Christopher, and that should be. Uh, I'm very, very intrigued by that matchup.
1: Who uh, I don't know who else is in the race. Again, it is Tuesday. I know who we're pulling for. I personally believe Jack Christopher is a real deal, especially at one turn. Um, you know, a couple of things, a couple of races this year, really they're they're burnt in your memory. I remember Zandon's bluegrass. Uh, you know, of course, by the way, that was Zandon off one prep when he fired a big shot in the bluegrass. That might be what happens in the Travers. But I also think about the Jack Christopher's win. I can't remember the name of, what race did he win in Belmont where he just what changed he the lead the Woody Stevenson just changed leads and just like he had after the burners on or whatever. So Conagher is going to be a, a tough to beat. Uh, it'd be tough to beat Jack Christopher, but I do think that's going to be one of the more entertaining races of the weekend. And I really hope our, Mike Thomas is a great guy. I would love to see him knock down that grade one.
0: Okay. It's time for our guest. Uh, hang tight. Afterwards, we're going to have more meaningless banner. And that's then what it's all uh, about. Right, exactly right, and uh yeah, this is podcast Kentucky style, but uh let's get right to our guest who uh, I believe is getting ready to join us right now. Our guest this evening is like many of our previous guests, horsemanship runs through his blood as his grandfather was a trainer and his great-grandfather was a jockey. However, his story of how he arrived in Kentucky is a lot different than many of our previous guests. He went on on. Excuse me, he, he went out on his own as a trainer in 2017, and since then, he's amassed over $400,000 in earnings. Recently, a horse he claimed, Gagetown, won a $70,000 allowance at Colonial Downs for owner W.D. Cubbage, who you may know as co-owner of Preakness Winter Shackleford. Without further ado, let's meet our guest, and it's Mark Sims, Jr. Mark, how you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing really well, really well. Thanks for having me on.
0: Congratulations on your win with Gaystown. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, First of all, can you tell us uh, your story of how you got to Kentucky? I understand that you started out in North Dakota.
2: Yeah, so um, I started out in North Dakota. My grandpa trained horses. His dad was a jockey, and then um, my dad was in the military, worked for the Bureau of Prisons. So we moved around quite a bit and uh, ended up settling in Virginia, went to high school and college, and then I commissioned in the Army. I moved all over the world, went to Afghanistan, Korea, and then, um, I tell people all the time the army made a mistake of, uh, sending me to Fort Knox, Kentucky. And I was, uh, I was an intelligence officer and, uh, I realized how
0: close Fort Knox was to
2: Churchill. And, uh, the rest was history after that.
0: Tell us about this uh, racetrack in North Dakota where you started out. What was the name of the track?
2: Yeah, it's Chippewa Downs. They actually just finished the meet there uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, but they run usually uh, four or five weekends, six weekends each summer. Um, it's up in North Dakota, uh, not too far from the Canadian border, um, but it's a small little bull ring. It's a half-mile track. Uh, they got three, three big barns over there, and um, typically it's a bunch of guys kind of on the fair circuit, a lot of guys from the reservation, some of the guys from um, some of the surrounding counties. Um, come in or some of the surrounding states come in and race. Um, My grandpa would tell us stories when we were younger where he'd go down to like a uh, pier and some of the racetracks in South Dakota during the summer and run against like Van Berg and Bill Mott and all those guys. Um, So,
0: yeah, they're still rolling up there. That's right. Bill Mott That's right. started, right? He started up there, right? Somewhere yep. in South Dakota, yep. North Dakota, was, something yeah, like South that. Dakota, yeah, South
2: Dakota, I think Bill got going. So, yeah, it's a, it's a lot of really, really good horsemen up there. Um, yeah. So, yeah.
0: It would make sense, uh, yeah, coming from that area. That that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, now you worked your way to Kentucky, like you said. Tell us about how you came to work for Dale Romans.
2: Yeah. So, when I, uh, kind of got close to Kentucky, I sent an email to just a bunch of different trainers, like kind of just telling them my background. Um, and that I was looking to kind of just get in and, and start in Kentucky. It's really, I will say the horse business in general, you guys probably know, it's, a, it's kind of a hard circuit to break into. But um Dale had an admin assistant um named Terry. And um, Terry's son was in the 82nd Airborne Division, so he kind of had a soft spot for or She kind of had a soft spot for the military and, and uh, told me to come out. And um, I started going out to their farm out in Goshen, helping out in the morning. Sometimes I'd get up at like 3 and go over there. Um, and then come back down to Fort Knox and, and go do my Army stuff during the day. Um, and I did that for a while. And then at that time, Dale and the rest of the team were down in Florida um, with most of the horses. And then when they all came up, uh, came up to Kentucky, I met Dale. And, um, yeah, it's kind of worked my way up. Started off kind of helping out in the, in the barns and um, with the stalls and walking, whatever, just whatever needed to be done. And then, uh, was able to get my assistant's license, um, did that for a while. And then my, when my grandpa passed away, I figured, um, I wanted to give it a shot. And then, uh, yeah, in 2017, I, um, I had my license already from time in North Dakota, but I went ahead and started on my own here in Kentucky. He actually started off. I bought a couple of horses from Calumet and, um, uh, Ben Huffman at Churchill, um, the racing secretary gave me a couple of stalls and, uh, that's how I got it going.
0: All right, let's uh, let's talk about working for Dale. I think you started with Dale around 2012. Is that correct? Yep. Yep. Okay. What are, what are the some of the stakes horses you were around in his barn?
2: So I came kind of like right after um, Little Mike, but um, one that uh, actually Gagetown, uh, Gagetown's owner, um, Bill Cubbage. He owned a Philly named Molly Morgan. Um and I think it was actually Corey Landry's first uh first graded stakes win. Um mm-hmm. but she was a nice Philly back then that we had. Um I think of this was right after like Shackleford, uh Keen Ice had just come in. Um not this time. Um we had a couple of Phillies. Um Ma Can Do It. Um there were a bunch of them that come through uh probably the toughest old hard knocker I can think of over there. We had a horse named Silver Max. Oh yeah. Um, Beat Wise Dan. dan. Yep. Yep. Silver, Silver Max was tough. I think those guys are still upset about that wise dan deal. Uh pulling down Rain at Kingland that day they took it off the turf. But um he was a cool horse because you knew what he was gonna do. Um Robbie was gonna get on him. He was gonna go out there and just blaze blaze on the front end. If they could catch him they would. Um but he was a lot of fun um a horse that just retired today i just seen the uh the article mr freeze um he had a nice horse over there um there was a bunch of them i can just remember uh like brody's cause um not this time
1: um they're pretty good they were both pretty good no who who was the best of
0: all of them that's a that's a quite a bit that's a, a Pretty good uh, shed row horses there. Which which one of those was your favorite or the, or the best?
2: Um, I don't know. I think maybe if I had to pick a favorite, uh, maybe Silver Max because he was just – he tried so hard. I can remember coming to the barn the next morning and him just being laid out in the stall, exhausted, because he just went out there and gave it all. So any of those horses like that, I think, that go out and just go balls to the wall, um, give it everything they got. That they kind of tug at your heartstrings a little bit. So uh he was really cool and then his owners, Mark Bacon and uh I forget the other gentleman's name I'll think of it in a second. Um but they were just like friends of Dale's. Um so yeah, it was just it was a cool experience. Did you ever meet
0: like Did you ever meet cousin Paul? Dale's cousin <laughs> Paul?
2: Oh yeah, big cousin Paul, he's huge. He's <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's a character all those guys like Derby week especially like Derby and Oaksteak all those guys would come in um there's always a lot of fun around that time because we'd always be really busy kind of walking back and forth because at, at that time we had horses I remember I mean it'd be 10 12 horses a day so we'd be running back and forth throughout the day um, but there'd always be a bunch of people at the barn and a party at the barn um, so it was a lot of fun you know Dale was always real welcoming to me and my family so we bring in some of my buddies from high school and um sometimes my family, I mean most of the time my family from North Dakota, my uncles and stuff that still race and train horses, they come down. Um so it was always a lot of fun, um on those big days like that.
0: So where are you stabled now?
2: Uh Churchill Down Spectrum. You know they have two uh right. Churchill Downs has two properties over there. It's right over there by Derby City Gaming. But typically a lot of the younger guys um kinda getting going. Uh they we start off at the spectrum and as your stock gets better you might get to move over um, to Churchill Downs proper.
0: How many horses do you have in your barn right now? i got 10 horses over there right now. Very nice, 10 horses. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I imagine that your uh, military background, uh, by the way, uh, thank you for your service.
1: Amen. Oh, thank
0: you. Thank you. I appreciate it. We sincerely mean
1: that, by the way. We sincerely mean
0: that. So I imagine that your military background helps you in a business that kind of requires attention to detail and you know a lot of daily repetition. Is, is is that so? Is that is that helpful to you?
2: Yeah, I think um I am very uh thankful for my time in the army. I think um the military teaches responsibility and um just so many kind of teamwork, just less life lessons um that I learned from the military. Um, I'm very grateful for that uh, that opportunity. Again, I think uh, I tell people all the time I, I'm not sure if uh, if it wasn't for the military, if I would have been able to break break through, or it would have been as easy for me to break through. Because um, me being in the military really kind of opened the door for me to get into Kentucky racing. Um, I always, I mean, sometimes I still go back and like mentor high schoolers and stuff, and I always tell kids if you, you don't know exactly what you want to do. Join the military for a couple of years because, um, it really does open a lot of doors. And if, if nothing else, it just teaches you, um, responsibility, um, and just some traits that, uh, that'll go a long way, um, the rest of your life.
0: So let's talk about your win at Colonial Downs with Gagetown. Uh, you claimed this horse off of Brad Cox and, I think this horse was on the Derby trail at some point, maybe last year, or the year before, I can't remember. But, uh, what did you like about him? What, what, what led you to, to claim him off of the, the Cox stable? You know, uh, we kind
2: of went back, uh, Bill and I just had looked at the buyer numbers he was running. He was always really competitive. Um, he tried hard, um, every time he ran. Um, and that's definitely one thing that I always look for, just a horse. Sometimes they're overmatched, but as long as they kind of give a maximum effort. And then uh, looking at his work pattern before we claimed him, I think it was either the breeze before or the breeze right before. Um, he had breezed a bullet over a uh, 59 and change over at Indiana. Um, so I figured he's probably pretty sound. Just I knew, I knew he had some time off, so something had happened, but if he was going to go breeze a bullet over there, I figured um, he's probably okay. And I thought if he was real bad, Brad, probably um, they probably would have dropped him a little bit lower. So I was thinking, hey, first start off a layoff. They're going to run him for 50, kind of see where he is. And um, I liked, we liked him in the flesh when uh, we saw him. So, um, yeah, we went ahead and dropped on him and kind of got lucky. I think, it, I think it was a three-way shake. And, um, yeah, we won the shake, and we were able to get him. And once we got him over, um, he's just a really handsome, um, really classy horse. So uh, we were really excited um, once we got him.
0: So what happened next? I know, I know you ran him at least once, maybe twice before. Colorado. Yeah. So what we, uh, what yeah, led up to that?
2: Up, yeah. So we um, initially, the horse had been running around of ground. So uh, he won going six furlongs when we claimed him. And we were thinking, hey, let's uh, let's stretch him out. So um, they had a uh, one-turn mile race and, uh, we put Adam a on and he broke like a rocket and they were rolling up front. And, um, he just got a little bit tired. And, um, Adam's usually a really, really straight shooter. Once he gets off a horse and when he got off really excited thinking, Hey, this horse is all right. We just need to shorten him up a little bit. I said, huh? Okay. And actually, uh, a buddy of mine. I talked to him a little bit and he was kind of thinking, uh, probably shorten that horse up a little bit as well. So, um, Next time out, uh, I really wanted to win early with the horse. So I said, hey, we could try these Kentucky horses or we could go over to Indiana, probably be a little bit softer and just get a win. And um, we tried to do that, but he broke a step slow and probably spotted the field like eight lengths in Indiana and then just came flying at the end. We ended up losing. We we're in third by like three-quarters of a length from it all. And right after the wire, um, he was in front. And it was just kind of an awkward deal where he kind of stepped back a little bit and was just a little bit late when they popped the latch. But after that race, he ran a good number, and he came back out of it just spectacular. Um, so we we're like, hey, we'll put him back in this spot again and win. And um, kind of crazy how things uh, lined up. Uh, I had talked to Bill, because the purses are really good, out, out of Colonial. I said, like, hey, we can bring this horse to Colonial. But then a race at Indiana came up again. And I didn't want to wait for the uh colonial race and miss the Indiana race and then the colonial night race not go. So we kind of miss an opportunity. So I entered the race at Indiana and it went. Um I actually ran another horse that day too. We run second, so we we're waiting for uh Gage Town's race. We we're in the paddock and I think it was a favorite or a second choice and it rained. And um long story short, we waited around for about forty five minutes. And they end up canceling the races. Oh man, oh man! But it actually worked out because they canceled right. the races. I, I entered them the next day at Colonial, and we were able to come over to Colonial. We shipped in a couple days early and let them just kind of settle in because it's kind of a kind of a long trip um, through through uh, down sixty four,
1: kind of it through is. the mountains.
2: Yes, it is. West so, um, Virginia gets rough. <laughs> yeah, so we wanted to come a couple of days early, just let them kind of relax and get charged up, and um, it worked out perfect. He, he settled in like just a gentleman. And, um, I was kind of surprised to see how well, his odds, I didn't think he was going to creep up as high as he did. Um, but I knew he was doing well. And I just told Adam, like, Hey man, he's doing awesome. And, uh, he was really, I mean, we had let him roll down the lane, um, the Saturday before we shipped. And I mean, he was training the best I'd seen him train. So I knew, well, I, it's hard to say, you know, in the horse business, cause you can get put, uh, you can get fooled. Mm-hmm. But, um, I knew he had been training well, so I thought he'd run a really good race. And um,
1: when they turned for home,
2: or when he broke and was right there with him, I was thinking there was a lot of speed in the race. So uh, I typically don't tell the jockeys kind of what to do because those guys can handicap. Um, But he knew it was a lot of speed. They kind of was in front of him a little bit. And then when they kicked home and he ranged up beside him, um, once he switched leads at the quarter pole, uh, I knew uh, we were were probably going to get it done.
0: Yeah, he ran 109 and one. Very, uh, very nice yeah, time. Uh, he
2: was rolling. His, yeah. uh, his, t- his numbers came back good. Um, and if you watch the race at the end of it, he probably could have w- went a little bit faster. But um, if you watch the races at Colonial, they do steeplechase racing. And they put the steeplechase jumps between the turf course and the dirt course. So you'll see Gagetown a couple jumps before the wires start getting out. I think the actual chart says he got out. And he has his ears up. Because he was trying to get away, he saw those jumps and got scared of the jumps um, right at the wire. So he kind of pulled himself up. Hmm. Um,
0: yeah, but yeah, said, no,
2: he uh, he ran really well.
0: To gain ground on the outside, to pull clear and held that margin while drifting mildly in the final furlong.
2: Yep, yeah, no, that's what it was. That's why because he, he never drifted before. Yeah. They got those jumps in there. And he was scared of the jumps. Uh, Adam told me warming up, he saw him on the backside and was a little nervous. Um, but Adam kind of kept him to task, and uh, he was able to get it done.
0: Well, that's awesome. That's uh, that's a that's a good victory. And uh, what what's next for Town? You think you run at Churchill next? Maybe a non-winners of three or something like that.
2: You know, I'm not really sure. I'm going to nominate them to a couple of smaller stakes. I know we got one over at Pimlico. We nominated nominated to one at Canterbury. I think there's another one at Remington, um, and then there is a race at Churchill as well. Um the only condition he well, the condition he has next is like a three other than allowance race. But in Kentucky, that's pretty much a stakes race. I mean, it's a tough, right. tough, mm-hmm. tough race. So um I almost rather try to get a stakes win than run against those Bears. Um right. sometimes I mean you end up in a spot like that, he can run lights out and end up running into some some freak uh or some horse that just won a stakes and jumping into this race. Um, but we'll see if he's training well, they do have, um, the same condition. He, he just won. Um, he'd be running for 80, um, at the end of the meet. Um, so we might look at that spot, but we'll probably try to, try to find a little stake somewhere if possible. Um, but yeah, really happy with how he came out of the race and, uh, yeah, we'll, uh, we'll
0: find something. Sounds good. Okay. Alan, take it away.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, Mark, uh, When we were doing a little bit of a research for this, you know, the thing I was most fascinated with and uh, CeCe touched on earlier is that you live most of your life in North Dakota. And and to me, it's like I've always wanted to go up that way. And so before we get back into the horses, I mean, what's it like living in North Dakota? What's what's Is is it worth going up there? Is it? I mean, it's your homeland. Well, what's it like up there?
2: So, yeah, I actually... I call North Dakota home, but I've only lived in North Dakota for short stints. Oh, really? My mom is uh, uh, ter- from the Turtle Mountain Indian Reservation um, in North Dakota. Her entire family, really except for her, still live on the reservation. So as a kid, um, my dad deployed, so we moved back. And then any holidays, so like our, our breaks, so summer break and winter breaks were typically spent on the reservation. And, um, I mentioned it earlier, but the, the, uh, summer meet is, I mean, really the summertime, a lot of those guys have jobs during the regular part of the year, but during the summers, um, they have off, so they would run horses. So I spend the summers up there kind of traveling, racing horses. Um, but to kind of get back to your question, like, uh, the Dakotas are, are, are beautiful. Um, it is super flat. Um, but some of the prettiest sunsets, some of the clearest sky, Uh, you'll ever see. Um, it's really neat. I mean, I think it's a lot slower pace than what we're used to in, in, in Kentucky or, or Virginia and any other place I've been. Um, things are a lot more spread out. I think it's about, I don't know, everybody was excited because they got a, we got a Walmart like 25 miles away. (laughs) Um, for that, we'd have to go like an hour and a half up to Minot, um, to, uh, to get to Walmart. But, North Dakota has changed, especially kind of the part where I'm from, um, has changed quite a bit over the last couple of years. Um, when I was younger, you fly into Minot because there was an Air Force base there. and That was kind of it. But now with a lot of the oil going on, a lot of those cities, Fargo, Grand Forks, um, Minot, have all kind of built up quite a bit. So there's a lot more going on in uh, in North Dakota now than there was when uh, when I was younger. But, um, it's really pretty country. Uh, you go to South Dakota, you can see, uh, Mount Rushmore and Sturgis. Um, but it's definitely worth a, uh, a visit to go check it out. And if, uh, if you go during the summer, um, you end up on, in Belcourt or in Fargo, you can catch
1: the horse races. Yeah. Actually, I thought there was horse racing up there. I wasn't sure. I knew it was of a smaller stature. Are they well attended? Yeah. Is it a big deal when the meets are going on or?
2: Uh, it's not huge. Um, they get probably, uh, I don't know, a couple of thousand people out there. They got North Dakota horse park and, um, they also have uh Chippewa Downs kind of where I'm from. Um, but there's been a lot of kind of folks that found their way through there. Actually uh funny story. I was up there one year with a horse named peaceful Sammy. He was the favorite or second choice in the, uh, in the North Dakota Derby up there. Um, and I tried to get Joe Sharp to ride the horse, and uh, he spun me. Um, really? And at that time, I was probably, I don't know, 14 or 15, and I don't know how Joe how old Joe was, but back then Joe was riding. So, yeah, Joe rode up there at one time. Um, so a lot of guys have been through there.
1: I did not know that. And, you know, I was also reading, um, but from your military time, you spent time in Korea, and you might be the first person that I've known. That has been the Korean racetracks. You frequented the Korean racetracks. What are they like?
2: So I'll tell you this. There's a big difference between North Dakota horse racing and Korean horse racing. I would think so. Those people go to the racetrack.
1: They love it.
2: It was packed. Um, And it was really cool to see because it was a lot different than kind of how we do it here. I can remember, like, the paddock was, like, underground. Like, you stood over top of it, and they were kind of, like, in a bowl. And, um, you couldn't get real close to the horses, but I remember after they weighed, I thought it was weird, but they weighed the horses after the race. Um, I'm sure they weighed the jockeys as well. Um, I remember the, the turf course kind of like, uh, it is up at Woodbine where the turf course was on the outside of the dirt course. Um, wow. where it's typically dirt course on the outside here. Um, and just the style of riding, if you watch those jockeys, they sit a little bit different and they rock a little bit more um but when they turn for home you still got the same folks yelling at it, yelling for their horse to get home so that piece was uh was pretty cool but no, I thought it was really cool um kind of throughout my time whether it was in the military or really my whole life wherever we lived I always tried to make sure that I could get close to um racehorses where wherever that may be um I actually got to see quite a few racetracks kind of around the, around the country and several i mean we still race um my uncle's got a horse in tomorrow and then a couple of my buddies from the reservation have horses in tonight and tomorrow um up at, a sensible way down up oh, in Manitoba. Really? yeah so we always race i just the alert just came across my phone they're getting ready to start um but yeah a lot of uh a lot of uh a lot of my guys from my reservation still still run horses up there and i actually claimed the horse we claimed the horse uh me and a guy named uh, Henry Witz Jr., we claimed a, a pretty nice horse named Pray for Peace. Uh, Chris for 80, Hartman.
1: Chris Hartman, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: We claimed him. Um, ran him once down here, ran third in allowance race, and then I sent him up to um, one of the guys from my reservation who's uh, typically the leading trainer up there at the Cinnaboy, Jerry Gorno. And um, they ran in the Manitoba Derby. Well, actually, as soon as he left, we ran him uh, in like a trial, and he won easy, and then ran in the Manitoba Derby, and then the Canadian Derby. Um I think they were a little bit too far for him, but um he should be coming back down here to me here in the next couple of weeks. But yeah, still really, really tied to uh, a lot of my family um awesome. and friends up uh, up in North Dakota and, and, and Canada.
1: Awesome. You know what with, with me personally, and I don't see the same way, we again being in Kentucky, a Kentucky horse racing podcast, we, we have a tendency to remember certain things when they happen, guys that catch our eye and you in particular sure. <clears throat> caught my eye. I know that's, that's really something to catch an auto worker's eye, but a horse, <laughs> a horse you had a couple of years ago named Kazaranga, right? Is that am I saying yep. that right?
2: Yep. Yeah, I was like,
1: I think you may have beat me that day, but the way I am, I'm like, you know what? This guy beat me today, but I'm going to learn something because this guy's good. <laughs> I like the way this horse ran and I'm going to make some money on this horse later on because I was, it was like a starter allowance race and I had never heard of you. And the horse really yeah. impressed me, and he and he went on to just be this, this hard knocker. I got to think Kazarenga is somewhat special to you and your family, right?
2: Yeah, um, you know, you're not supposed to choose favorites, but has got to be my favorite just because, uh, at least so far, he's always going to have a special part or spot and kind of in, in my heart because. Um, a guy named Rick Running Rabbit, a native guy who I met through uh Jerry Gorno, still a friend of mine, a guy named Rick Running Rabbit, um had been wanting to get horses and we probably talked for a year and a half. And then um we found Kazaranga. Um we claimed him down at Oakland, uh brought him up here, ran him a couple of times in allowance races and uh just a hard knocker, just trying really hard and that that's a kind of a cool condition, that starter allowance race that they write at Churchill. It's like starter fifty and they haven't won an allowance race. So it was perfect. And yeah. um it was kinda cool. My parents were in town. Oh, um, man. So they kinda had the whole bunch. And uh yeah, for him to win that race and uh it was cool to have Corey on because when I was with Dale, Corey was kinda the main man at 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 uh at Churchill, so Corey wrote him for me. And it was actually um Corey's wife, Chantel's birthday after she had passed. So it was a special thing for him to so it was really just a really cool story, um, how it all came together. And then uh, the Courier Journal actually gave me like the whole sports section after that wow. race. Um, so it really opened, well, uh, it didn't open a ton of doors, but at least kind of put my name on a couple of folks' radar. And then, um, yeah, that horse went on to uh, win. And when they had just bumped the purses up at Churchill, he won an allowance race for us over here. And, um, that race was really special because, uh, about two or three days before he won that race, uh, his owner, Rick Running Rabbit actually passed away, he had a heart attack. Um, wow. so it was really cool for him to win that. And then I jumped on a plane and went to his funeral. And, um, at the, uh, kind of the dinner after the funeral, they, they showed the race replay. Um, uh, so it was really cool. I was able to go up there with a bunch of pictures and stuff for his family, win pictures and stuff. So it was just. That horse has just always had kind of a special, special spot for me. And then after that, I mean, we were just knocking on the door the two other than allowance races here at Churchill, running seconds and thirds, and just always tried. And, um, yeah, he started having some, some things were bugging him a little bit. And, um, I probably, I mean, I probably could have jammed him in and ran him, um, for a claiming tag and, and sent him down the road, but, I love that horse way too much to do that. So, uh we we retired him. It's kind of a cool story. One of the girls used to gallop him in the mornings for me. Started a rehabilitation group. So, she took him, rehabbed him and then found a really cool home for him up in Michigan. Um so I still um from time to time talk to the lady who has him up there and she sends me pictures and I show the kids and stuff. So, uh yeah, really cool horse and um yeah.
1: Great really story. neat great story great horse and you mentioned your kids uh cuz dad's going to be on this this worldwide podcast that we're going to make sure you get a link to so we want to make sure that you get to mention the kids and they get to hear their names and stuff so uh you got three kids and your wife go ahead and give their names out so they can hear their dad talk about maybe winning the Kentucky Derby in 5 or 10 years yeah we're going
2: to hopefully it ain't hopefully it don't take us that long to do it but uh we're gonna drive <laughs> the door um but yeah, my kids are really a big part of uh and my wife really, and my, my my mom and dad as well, and my brother. It really is a team team deal here. Um my wife Shayla, um, kind of cool story with her is uh when we were in, in in college. Um she knew that I liked horses and uh it was kind of far fetched to think uh me being I went to a historically black college university in uh in virginia and there aren't very many folks who want to be horse trainers but she's always supported it i remember um she went and found every like horse farm near us reached out to them and found me a job on a horse farm to just kind of keep me messing with horses so she's believed in me the entire time and then my daughter Ashin, um she come sleep in the barns my son canaan um they all come sleep in the barns and hang out and then my baby now kyler um he got his first wind picture the other day with Gage and um, he walks around the house with a with a jockey whip. I sent a video to David Cohen the other day. We got this little horse that. I mean, he rides his horse, and he's always got his jockey whip. So um, they really enjoy enjoy the horses. So it's cool to kind of be able to share this passion um, with them, and then again to have their support. Um, so it's really really cool. It's a family affair for yeah, sure. Yeah,
1: ultimate family affair. It sounds like Shale was a keeper by the way. Couldn't do it without her. One last thing before I send it back to my uh, cohort here. You may not remember this, but uh, Cece and I met you um, on the Gold Room Balcony. I want to say it was last year at Churchill. And the reason it really sticks out is, of course, we was impressed we wanted to meet you, but you were rocking one of the coolest uh, stable baseball caps I've seen. It's it's, a... is it blue and red or something? that has got M S Mark Sims Jr. and in initials. Your yeah. merch game is pretty strong, Mark. You realize that? I mean, that, that's a pretty cool ass hat.
2: You know, I got to uh, give all the the uh, shout out there to uh, Matt Cordenbrock's wife, Connie Cordenbrock. Um, she makes all these hats for me. I'll order them like trucker hats off of uh, of Amazon. And she's figured out, I mean, she embroiders them for me. So I'll send her like 50 right to her and she'll hook them up for me. Um, and she does a great job. Uh, so, yeah, I got uh, I got a couple of hats with you guys' name on it. Whenever oh. You guys, uh, whenever we see you again at Churchill or if you guys ever want to come out the barn,
1: I got gotcha. you. Well, I see that see, see, see a little hit once in a while gets some free stuff, right? So I was serious, <laughs> though. It was a badass hat. And, yes, I'll gladly take one, brother all right man i got you <laughs> all right cc
0: merch we always talk about merch yeah we we have some merch of our own i think we don't mm-hmm. have very much though
1: yeah we don't have much merch <laughs>
0: mark uh before we started recording you were talking about you you have a relationship now with K met farm uh tell us about how that's going and what's going on there
2: yeah you know um it's kind of crazy how small the horse world is the first two horses I bought were, um, off of Calumet farm, um, the farm manager over there, racing manager is a guy named Eddie Kane. And, um, I would just kind of keep in touch with Eddie from time to time and just say, Hey, how, how the horses were doing. And then, um, I claimed Kazaranga off of Calumet. And at that time I didn't really, re- I didn't put two and two together. And then I realized, Oh shoot, this is a Calumet horse. So I asked Eddie if he fold him, and Eddie knew the horse and fold the horse. And then I had claimed another horse from them, uh, a horse named Bird Dog. And, um, just kind of just every couple of months would just shoot him a text and just, hey, how's things going? And, um, earlier this year I was at Kingland trying to claim horses. And Eddie randomly called me and was like, hey, Mark, um, I talked to the boss and he wants to send you a couple of horses. And, uh, just a random call out of nowhere. And, um, they sent me, they sent me initially two horses and, um, then, uh, Eddie called again and said, Hey, we're going to send another one. And then, uh, Mr. Kelly called me. Me and Mr. Kelly probably talked for 45 minutes or so. And then Eddie called again. They sent me a couple more horses. So, um, really the opportunity of a lifetime. Um, so yeah, now I got horses for Calumet and a couple of them, um, were really excited about, um, training well and, uh, looking forward to them making their next starts. But yeah. Uh, kind of cool how, how everything came together. And I always kind of felt like I was a, an opportunity away from the hall of fame. And and these guys are really giving me an opportunity. So, uh, I'm really excited to kind of see where things go. Um, yeah.
0: Well, that's great to hear. So, uh, yeah, we've, uh, we're going to look forward to the, uh, to the career of Mark Sims Jr. That's for sure. Uh, uh, Mark, we thank you for coming on and joining us and taking, taking time out of your day. And uh, good luck to you going forward. And, and like we tell everybody else, hopefully we'll bump into you somewhere down the road.
2: Oh, yeah, for sure. And I really appreciate you guys reaching out. And um, I really get excited about anybody promoting the sport of horse racing. So I appreciate what you guys are doing, and I ask that you guys continue. And um, if there's anything I can do or be of an assistant, please feel free to reach out anytime.
1: Man, Mark, thank you so much. You're, you're a great guy. I can't. I'm going to North Dakota. I'm going to North Dakota next year. I'm telling the wife. I'm telling the wife. Let me know we'll, when we
2: got you. We'll take. Yeah. We'll take good care of you.
1: And there's a whole state of people up there like you. I'm going, brother. <laughs> oh yeah, no,
2: they're, they're good folks up there.
0: Yeah. Well, well, seriously, I mean, if if you're listening to this podcast and you know you're looking for a trainer and you can't, you know, we 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 preach about this all the time.
1: You know, all the time.
0: Brad Cox, Todd Pletcher, they're great. Bill Mott,
1: Good. They're good. They're
0: great trainers, but there is a ton of able horsemen that have just as much knowledge. And for sure. uh, Mr. Sims is one of those. And 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 if you know, reach out to him. You can find him on the uh, at the at the old Sports Spectrum. You can reach out, probably find him one morning training his horses, and uh, reach out to him and see what he can do for you. So, uh but like I said, Mark, thank you for coming on, and, and uh, we'll we'll root for you down the road.
1: And get a hat, Thanks, and we're guys. getting a hat from you.
0: We got you. We got you. Thanks,
2: guys, and, again, have a great evening. Thanks again.
0: All right, that was Mark Sims, Jr., very, very young trainer with a world of experience under his belt, and uh, we'll probably see him in a winner's circle uh, many times in the coming years.
1: Oh, I'd say that's there, – there's there's no question. He's got a calumet behind him. He has a lot of nice ones behind him. And I think we forgot to mention he's only 33. Mark's only 33, but could not be a better guy. and. Yeah. uh that's, I mean, broken record. A lot of good people we have on here. We just added another one to the roster, and it's hard. It's just hard not to root for these guys. It's, you know, it's a little difficult sometimes when you see the races. There's ten races, ten horses in a race, and seven of them seven trained or ridden by people that we've had on that we we all admire so much and get to like so much. So, you know, the the, the good thing is one of, one of them's going to win. We know a good person's going to win. So, uh, yeah, just just a pleasure doing this.
0: Well, it's, uh, interesting while, while he was talking, I got a, a message in about some potential breaking news and I'm not going to break it, but there could be a, sh- a shake up amongst the Kentucky racetracks, mm-hmm. yeah, right. uh, in the, in the next, uh, few days or months. Uh, but, uh, that's a, that's an interesting segue into what we were going to talk about. So, uh, it would, uh, Alan, why don't you, uh, don't you, uh, take over? Yeah. You take over from here.
1: You know, it's, uh, everybody's going to talk about the Travers card this week and that thing's going to be talked to death. We thought we'd do a little something, just a little back and forth, just kind of see how each other feels, uh, about the five Kentucky tracks. We have five Kentucky thoroughbred tracks here in, 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 in Kentucky. There's Ellis Park, there's Churchill Downs, there's Keeneland, there's Turfway Park and, uh, did I say all five? Kentucky Downs? Does say Kentucky Downs? Anyway, you know the five. So I'm going to ask you and you can ask me if you like to. Different things about which track you like best, about one little facet of a life or wagering or fun or whatever. So I'm just going to get your opinion. I think I and I want to see if I can guess what you're going to say, too. Right. So you ready? Yeah. Yeah. Let's yeah. do this. So, so these little five tracks, you know, and you tell me, for instance, of these five tracks, which one do you think is the most fun to attend? It's a relative term, but yeah, define looks-
0: the, the fun.
1: Fun, just a, a good place to hang out, to enjoy yourself. I mean, yes, the wagering's nice or whatever, seeing the horses win or whatever, which is just the most most potential to have, just fun.
0: Bluegrass Downs <laughs> and Paducah.
1: Current racetrack. Current
0: oh, race. a Churchill, would, that would fit the bill for me.
1: Okay, okay. Uh, which, this is an obvious question, but which one do you think has the best food, for instance? Keeneland. I think that's kind of a no-brainer, right? Um, who would be second? I mean, at church, actually Churchill. some of Churchill's food's a little bit underrated. Wouldn't you say
0: Ellis would be
1: fifth? Yeah. We love you, Ellis. We love you.
0: <laughs> well, that's not true. Actually, yeah. they've got, that's not true. They've Ellis has got a couple stands that like, I know they sell Impressive. barbecue and, and you know, it's, so it's not, it, it's not horrible. I think it was better this year. I think it was better. Don't you that buffet in the, uh, sky theater was the most horrifying thing i've ever
1: seen <laughs> but those food trucks those food trucks were pretty impressive the food
0: truck, the food trucks help yes
1: okay let me ask you this uh this is kind of a timely topic who's got the best turf course
0: oh well i mean it's that would be question. keeneland right it would be keeneland I mean, like kentucky downs in in what like kentucky downs is basically a, a pasture yeah right I mean, it's what's, not there's nothing special about it keeneland you know keeneland they just protect it really, you know, like, just, I don't know. I mean, Kingland would be the one I would think would be the best. Churchill's last, obviously. Yeah.
1: I mean, uh, Turfway might be ahead of them at this point, right? Uh, <laughs> right, right. I, and I will also mention that we, we got to give Turfway a little bit of a pass because they've been under, undergoing some construction. So they may slide up the scale on a lot of these, which actually brings me to my next question. Which track do you believe you have the highest success rate at on a, you know, on a fairly regular basis? Keeneland. Keeneland, really? I would say yes. Keeneland's one of the tougher ones outside. I love opening weekend, but I think you can get tough as the week as the meet progresses. I actually would have said Turfway personally. I would have said Turfway, but I actually was looking over my records for the last couple of years uh, before I before we came on, and surprisingly to me, the, the 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 track that I've had the most success at, I've actually turned a profit at most of these meets. But the one I've actually is one I, I didn't use to turn probably that's Ellis. I've had, the last two years I've actually done better at Ellis than I have the other tracks, and that surprised me.
0: Which so, would it, which is the worst?
1: God, that's a good question. It's probably either I hate to say Kentucky Downs because I don't think it's fair because it's a short meet. Because I mean, you have one good day and you're ahead, but then you might feel you know. So, what do you think's the worst?
0: For me, Churchill's my worst of really? the five. Yeah, I've, I've struggled the Churchill last several years. I used to dominate Churchill back.
1: I think in, it, I think it years. comes down to a little bit the, the length of the meat, right? It's so like Ellis, like I've been, I've done, for instance, I've done well at Ellis, even though I feel like I do, I feel like I've got a better hold on some other racetrack, but I just, I guess it's the length of the meat sometimes, right? Uh, you may just catch it at the right time and then it ends and stuff. But, uh, cause I would have said Turfway personally for myself and then maybe Churchill, but, uh, it, worse than not was I would say the back half of a me for me personally. Uh, but who's got the best customer service? Oh well,
0: that, it's hard to figure because, like, I mean, you and I don't really need customer service, right? It's fair to say. serve ourselves there because you know. So we I know what I, they're doing. I'm gonna back down from answering that one because I, I really I don't know for sure.
1: That's, you know, yeah that, I would agree. i try to, I, I got to say maybe Keeneland. Maybe, but I think Churchill's underrated in that aspect. You know, Don't
0: so you? my problem with Keeneland is usually I'm in the way. You know, yeah. it's usually you can't stand there, sir. Sir, you can please move your arm. Sir, you're going to have to get out of the way so Rex Chapman can bet. Those kind of things. Yeah. Sir, have I told my Rex Chapman story on air?
1: Go ahead. I think –
0: we were in the bluegrass room. I think uh, my folks had a horse running that day, and of course, this is probably 15 years ago. I was I was probably a two dollar better back then, but I still, you know, I hammered for for uh, for for my age, and uh, went to the window to place a bet, and the clerk said, "Sir, please get out of the way. Rex Chapman needs to make his bet." Really? Rex Chapman's behind me, so I stepped out of the way to let Rex Chapman place his bet, This is easily three or four minutes prior to post time. Now that was, that was the 30 year old me, the 47 year old asshole CC brought us probably wouldn't be so kind to Mr. Chapman,
1: especially not Mr. Chapman these days, but that's just well, a- yeah.
0: <clears throat> I mean, I appreciate that he sends it in too. Yeah. That was, uh, that was eye opener. Thank you.
1: Kimberly. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go. Well, who is the best view? To watch, but you watch the race. What's when you're standing there watching it, the center of the the stretch. Who has what's the best view uh, to watch a race from the racetrack?
0: Uh Churchill is probably number one. Keeneland, you number know
1: two. People would probably say Keeneland, but I think I'd agree with you on Churchill. And of course, we don't know about Turfway yet, but you know, of course, Turfway. Well, not. all
0: right. Here's uh, Churchill's one, Keeneland's two, Ellis is three. Yes. Uh, Kentucky Downs is five. Yeah, the only thing with turfway, turfway's the 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 rail, the apron, is kind of lower than the track, or um, you know, almost even with the track. So you, it's like you don't get a very good view when you're on the rail or on the on the ground floor. Now you go further up, it's it's not, yeah. not bad. So, but I would place turfway four and Kentucky Downs five. Bluegrass, yeah, I mean, we
1: love we love Kentucky, but Kentucky Downs is it's, it's we're experienced. There's people more experienced than we are. It's it's a little hard to. Know what's going on sometimes and we've been doing this for a long time, right? So, uh, this next one's pretty easy. Who's got the best analyst? I mean, this is.
0: Mm, well, I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but yeah, I mean, Joe and Scott are my favorites, but I mean, that's, you know, I think Megan Devine's done a good job at Ellis. I, I, I appreciate her analysis and, and, uh, you know, Kentucky Downs always, you know, has Kate and Bradar usually and, uh, Mr. West from Dallas he comes in i mean I, I i wouldn't i mean i think churchill's probably the best i like their pregame show a lot so i, yeah. I mean, to me they, those those guys uh they do a really good job
1: yeah i i think it's it, i think it's obvious and then of course the supporting guys and again Turfway's going to be on the way up and stuff with that Caitlin just getting started there and stuff i mean yeah I it's obvious that it's that it's to me it's, that it's church. the I, some of the I, people they have at Keeneland do fine, but I don't really pay much attention to them, to be honest. I'm
0: glad they let Caitlin do the, the do the the preview race previews. I think she does a good job with that, so I'm, I'm looking forward sure. to do that this winter. So, yeah, I agree. You know, I, I, I don't know. I you know I, I'm not. I'm I'm not. Uh, I'm not gonna. Uh, I don't even want to try and say. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings but
1: uh, yeah uh i don't know if i don't know if an auto worker or a mortgage ought hurt that many people's feelings but uh i guess we'll wrap this i love one more here let's see um taking the wagering aspect out who's got the best value the best value is like you know admission or or beer or programs or whatever uh
0: well it's what, it depends on what you're looking for though i think you know ellis has a good value for beers and sodas and hot dogs and stuff like that. They have their dollar days on Sunday. Uh, I don't recall buying a lot of stuff at Kentucky Downs. I mean, I've only been there, like, you know, I go once a year. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, That's kind of in a... Yeah, I mean, the tailgating is, you know, if you're into that that kind of thing, that's cool. But, uh, you know, Keeneland and Churchill are really expensive. And, uh, you know, Turfway Turfway used to be cool.
1: Turfway used to be cool. I mean, again, it's... I think it's going to continue to be cool. Hopefully the prices don't go up too much, whatever. But as far as, like, I don't necessarily look at it for myself, but for someone went out there with their buddies or some young guys went for a night on the town or somebody's taking their family, I think the Turfway and Ellis always provided uh, a really nice uh, – because that's what it's about too, right? It's about making sure everybody feels welcome. And, and I always thought Turfway and Ellis did a good job with that.
0: Turfway is just behind the eight ball because it's always – 12 degrees below zero when they're running. And that's, that's, you know, I, I don't, I didn't like the fact that, you know, that when you go up there in in January, you have to spend the, the night inside the the facility. I mean, I kind of want to be outdoors when I go to the racetrack. That's my, when they had
1: that September meet, when they had the September meet, which I'm kind of advocating for right now, that they move some of those turf races, uh, like to open Turf Web, Turf Web for one of the days to to, to get some of these turf horses. That September meet, it was warm, right? It was a lot of fun. Friday nights for fun, Saturday nights for fun. So yeah, I wish they still had the September meet, but you know, it can be fairly warm in November and February and stuff up there. So again, Turfway is the X factor in all this because they may be. I, I do think they're on the verge of making a move, right? So yeah, I'm, I, biased. I'm, I'm biased. I'm look, biased.
0: I'm looking forward to to spending a few weekends up there in, in Florence. That'd be fun.
1: You know, and people bash uh, synthetic racetracks. All of a sudden, that synthetic racetrack doesn't look too bad, right? In a combination of a turf course is jacked up at Churchill, and then you have the continuous uh, deals with rain races getting rained off the turf, shorter fields. Turfway is kind of, you know, they they're the antithesis of that. That's that is the benefit of a, a synthetic surface. I know people don't don't pretend to care for them, but wood binds that way. Uh, Turfway, so yeah, <sighs> antithesis a short field, so. Anyway, that's all. That'll wrap it up. I thought you did a good job answering those. I appreciate your honesty, sir.
0: Did you ever go to Bluegrass Downs? In I did not.
1: I watched it on TV once or twice. It was a ring and was it Paducah? Was... Yeah. Paducah?
0: Yeah, yeah. That uh, that was uh, probably a four furlong track. They used to it a mile race would be like uh, seven turns. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, I tell you what, we need to do one of these times. I, I would love to. Is I want to do a podcast about old Churchill downs in the eighties and the nineties before things change or miles park, or I mean, bluegrass Downs might be a bit of a push. I think it's open for like two meets, but I'd love to, to talk to some of the people who uh, frequented those or whatever. So we, we got to keep that on the, keep that on the,
0: yeah. Keep That's that on too far to drive for me. Three. I think it was, it's a three hour drive to Paducah.
1: Yeah. Paducah's I mean, I was,
0: a cool place. It's a cool city. I think, uh, they've got a nice downtown area, but, uh,
1: yeah. Any of you old jockeys or older trainers out there, old, old from the back in the day of Churchill, hit us up. we we'll, we're gonna get you. We're gonna we're gonna talk about uh old I hate to say old Churchill. Old Churchill was like nineteen twenty, but I mean the before Churchill got revamped, it was actually struggling. Churchill was struggling in the early nineties and stuff, right? It was,
0: yeah, before uh, Meeker took over, mm-hmm. Churchill was really uh, uh yeah I, I think was it Lynn Stone was the president before Meeker. And you know, it was it needed a lot of work. I think Meeker came in, they they redid the paddock, which is now going to be redone again, ironically. Yeah. But uh, and, and, uh they turned the old paddock into a beer garden and, and uh did a lot of renovations and uh but uh yeah, that set it on its uh current trajectory.
1: Someone argues too much on its current trajectory, but that's not for you and I to decide, right? So but one of these days we'll do that. Anyway,
0: we'll right. wrap this up. All right, that's all I have, unless you have more questions for me about anything, Hi. about love or uh sex or or food or nightlife or anything else. I mean, is that it? Do you know
1: anything about any of those topics? I'm assuming you know at least one or no, two of them. That,
0: Brandon's the one that, that would answer those questions, and he's not yeah. here.
1: So Next time. Yeah. All right. All right. Let's
0: wrap it up on behalf of our guest, Mark Simms, Jr., of course, Alan Schneider and Brandon Jaggers, who's not with us. I'm CC brought us reminding you all at home that
1: gambling money ain't got no home. Good night.